call me sentimental, but to me, the most joyful moment in sports is the soccer goal. And when that goal happens at the World Cup, well, it's pretty good. I'm Brian Phillips. With the 2022 Men's World Cup approaching, I'm making a podcast called 22 Goals on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's about 22 of the most fire emoji goals in the history of the tournament. We're going to have so much fun. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer, availability, and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Hello and welcome to The Island. I'm Nora Pizziotti and we have got a great episode coming at you today about one of the NFL's hottest teams, the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm very excited to talk about, uh, particularly because we have my wonderful colleague, Sheila Kapadia here to join us for this episode. Um, Sheil, thank you so much for being here. We chose you over Benjamin Solak, who of course I'm sure is just shattered that he has not been included in this Eagle-centric episode, even though of course we're very sad to, to be without him. Uh, but without further ado, will you tell us what this Eagles island that you're on is? Yeah, welcome to the Eagles, our legit Super Bowl contenders island. Think of the island like a record, spinning on a turntable. Only now, that record is skipping. We've got, you know, if you want to get a little angry here, that's okay. The, you know, the, the clientele here, we're used to that. If you if you need a hoagie, we've got we've got the <laughs> hoagies here. We've got, if you want to dress in sweatpants, packs and sweatpants, no one's going to judge you here. It's like you're just running down to Wawa, grabbing something. And coming back. So uh, listen, the island's getting a little bit filled. We got a nice crowd right before the season started. But now, three weeks into the season, you got to get in here pretty quickly because there's not going to be many seats left pretty soon. Okay, right. So like, let's nail down exactly what this wonderful island with its hoagies and its Wawa (laughs) is. Because if we're calling the Eagles legit Super Bowl contenders, they're 3-0, and everybody's psyched. They are 7th in the ringer power rankings right now. So of NFC teams, our guy Austin Gale still got the behind the Packers and the Bucks. So one thing I think we're definitely going to have to talk about is just like where they stack in the NFC in particular. Second of all, I did some perusing, you know, around the usual suspects, the Athletic, ESPN, all the various power rankings. They are there are a surprising number of places that have them like third or fourth, sometimes even just behind AFC teams. So ranked as the top team in the NFC. But I think there's sort of a built-in assumption a lot of those lists. A lot of them will sort of explicitly say, 
this is a snapshot in time, right? This is not necessarily predictive, but this is just telling you who's sort of, who's stacking up where. But the Eagles, I think we have to talk about in a way that's a little bit longer range than that. Because to me, the story of the Eagles going into this season was, can they avenge the kind of like, oh, they're getting exciting towards the end of last year and then totally fall flat in the playoffs? And can they answer the questions that that loss created? I mean, I remember Jalen Hurts saying, this loss does not define us after that. And and we're watching them go about the whole offseason thinking to ourselves, or at least for me, can they make that true? And yeah. so far, so good, right? But I, I, I want to look at this island not just being a snapshot in time of the 3-0 and Eagles, but to examine if they've answered those questions in a way that tells us, are they legit Super Bowl contenders, as you said, which refers, I think, to how they will fare over the course of the entire season. So, Sheil, I, I guess the place to start is, were there any central questions that you had about this Eagles team coming into the season that through three games you think are the biggest things that they've answered? Yeah, I think there are two that stand out to me right when you ask that question. Number one is, what is Jalen Hurts' ceiling? I mean, I've been asked about Jalen Hurts, I feel like, every interview I've done for two years and always in the back of my head when I'm describing the things he does well and how he's performed. In the back of my head was always, well, what's his ceiling? What does the best version of Jalen Hurts look, look like? And can that player compete on a field with someone like Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or I mean, we can go uh, on and on with whoever you think the top seven or eight guys are. And that Monday night performance in week two against the Vikings was a version of Jalen Hurts that I didn't know existed, really. I mean, the way he was throwing the ball, his arm strength, the way he was ripping throws in, the types of throws he was attempting, the way he was reading the field, his decision making. All those different types of things that made me totally rethink. I mean, if we did this, you know, after week one, or even if we did it after week three, but that that Monday night football game, he was not as good at in it. I probably wouldn't have said, been coming in as strongly as I am. But knowing that that version exists, even if it's not the guy you're going to see every week, that makes me reconsider what his ceiling is and what the eagle ceiling is. So that's one. And then two is just. When they make the trade for A.J. Brown, you're always wondering. We've seen teams trade for wide receivers. We're seeing something in Las Vegas right now, and it's not going great. So you always have that in the back of your head. Are they going to be able to just integrate this player without any issues? And the guy's just been a beast. I mean, we knew he was a beast in Tennessee. He's as good as advertised. He just solved so many problems for them. Like they had a third down, I think it was, in the red zone last game. And it's just like, all right, well, what's the play call going to be here? Do you get cute with like an Andy Reid shuffle pass or something that gets schemed up that has, you know, all the film Twitter uh, going nuts during the week? Nope. Uh, slant slant to A.J. Brown. Gets the defender on his back, catches the ball like the three-yard line. is so strong, just powers through and scores. And so it's like those types of things, sometimes you don't have to overthink it. Like to me, sometimes coaching is just like, all right, our guy is amazing. We don't need to scheme stuff up. Let's just give him a chance. So that's been the second thing that stood out is that A.J. Brown has just solved so many problems for them. And the integration of A.J. Brown into this offense has really been seamless. And I think Hurts showing that his ceiling is higher than some people would have thought. And the integration of A.J. Brown have to go hand in hand, right? Like we're seeing Hurts. He's yes. fourth in EPA per drop back. 9.4 yards per attempt. 
which is not something I would have seen coming. And a big piece of that, and Devontae Smith is is involved in this as well, but A.J. Brown in particular seems like he's sort of unlocked the middle of the field for Hurts and for that offense in a way that's really, really important to him being able to make some of the plays that we didn't know if if he was going to be able to, and particularly having, you know, those two receivers who could be number ones for any team, basically, but but here they're sort of 1A and 1B, the two of them being such good catch point receivers, such good, so good at like moving their bodies in ways where it's okay if the pass isn't perfectly yeah. right on the money. They can twist, they can contort, they can make it okay. So I, I, do you, is that just a perfect marriage? Do you think there's one piece of just those two receivers making it all click versus Hertz's own development that's contributing more to this than the other? Because, you know, I, I don't want to use them to take away right. his improvement and his accomplishments. Something that I was reminded of in prepping for this pod that had totally escaped my mind is that this is the first year since he has been in high school when he's had the same coach and coordinator in consecutive years, which I don't think we can underrate as a factor in how a quarterback would just get better, right? So I really don't want to be taking away from Jalen Hurts here. But do you think that him being able to unlock some of that uh, higher ceiling passing offense just has to do with those receivers? Or do you think that he has really made strides as an individual player? It's a great point because, and we, it's like with a three-game sample talking at this time of year, I'm always like, well, I thought this after this week, and I think this Maybe. after this week. That's kind of how it goes. It's a small sample sport. That's okay. We like to react every week. So after week two, I was like that, you know, he was just making incredible throws that he had not made before. And so that was just like independent of the wide receivers. I was seeing a maturation from him that I didn't know I was going to see. And just this morning, I was, you know, for our Philly special pod with, with Ben Solak, I was just going through the film of this last game against the Commanders. And Jalen Hurts, the numbers, 340 yards, three touchdowns. They have 24 points at halftime. And then you go through it and you're like, this was not like an elite quarterback game, honestly. And that's, again, not to take anything away from him. But this was a, hey, our guys, uh, Devontae Smith over there and A.J. Brown are a lot better than the people covering them. If I throw some of these balls up, they're going to come down and catch them. Like, that's what the game was. He wasn't making, like, pinpoint accurate throws or making, the, you know, getting to, like, his third read or doing this unbelievable quarterbacking stuff. He was like, oh, a single high safety? I have a one-on-one? Yeah, I'm going to chuck it up there. And those guys, I mean, Devontae Smith just had an incredible game. Like, he made three incredible contested catches that you're saying, all right, you probably can't make those, like, nine out of ten times. But at the same time, if you have Smith and A.J. Brown, two really talented guys, then you give them opportunities. So this was more of just like execute the offense, throw the ball up. I thought he'd miss some throws. Honestly, it sounds crazy when you throw for 340 yards. Like, what are you talking about, Shield? He missed some throws. Like, that easily could have been <laughs> 450 yards, honestly, if he connected on like two more throws. Like, he took a couple more deep shots that you're like, all right, that wasn't a great throw. They had a shot at it. They didn't get it. But I think that speaks to sort of the big picture, which is the supporting cast. When you have an offensive line that is one of the best in the NFL, when you have these players on the outside that can win one-on-one, you don't have to be perfect. Now, your point before was a good one that, hey, 
you're not going up when you go up against like the Bucks defense or something in the playoffs. Well, now it's a little bit different. You leave those plays on the field and it's all anyone's talking about if you lose the game. So that is different and you don't want to do that week in and week out. But certainly with the supporting cast over the course of a 17 game season, like you don't have to be perfect every week. You can have weeks like last week where you kind of just go through and you're like, wow, the numbers look great. You kind of won without really uh, breaking a sweat. The game was over by the time the fourth quarter quarter rolled around. And it's a, a real luxury and speaks to kind of the strength of the rest of the roster. This is I'm getting embarrassingly far ahead of myself here. Like we've watched three games, but it's fascinating to me because, look, Hertz is playing at a, a MVP candidate level, right? Like if this was supposed to be some sort of make or break year because of the draft picks that they have coming down the pipeline, so far emphatic make, right? But the question of what kind of, you know, every quarterback in the NFL is going to perform differently based on who their supporting cast is. But we do identify these guys who are the guys who, you know, raise the level of everybody around them versus the trucks versus trailers is sort of the common common way of putting it. And because I think a lot of people think of the Eagles, includes myself, as a team that is often forward thinking, thinks in sort of outside the box ways about roster construction, how they respond to that question of how much is this a perfect marriage of the guys around the quarterback and the quarterback versus how much is the quarterback just raising the level of everybody that's there is really, really fascinating. One, just because they have so much they have so much in terms of resources for for next year and beyond, particularly while he's on a rookie contract that will get really, really um, the sample size, I guess, of ways in which they spend that will be sort of satisfyingly larger than in most instances. We'll sort of get to see how they think about it. I just think it's fascinating. Yeah. That is not that is not even this year. And we've only gotten like three minutes into this year. So I shouldn't get so ahead of myself. But I just it's just like it creates all these fascinating sort of um, A-B scenarios for the Eagles going forward. You mentioned the Bucks defense. Let's talk about the Eagles defense. Uh, this defensive line, I, I think, was a unit that last year they didn't feel like they were getting great results against the top quarterbacks. You know, they'd be okay, and then they'd go up against a really good offense and wouldn't be able to get pressure. We saw them add Reddick, Jordan Davis in the offseason. It seems like that's going pretty swimmingly. Obviously, we saw all the sacks against Carson Wentz, but overall, their ability to get pressure, particularly just by rushing four. Did you see that coming going into the season because of those additions? I, I definitely thought they had a good pass rush. I didn't know how good it was going to be. The the issue last year was like they had good players on the defensive line, but they were playing soft zone coverage so predictably week in and week out that quarterbacks could just like you had no chance. I mean, we we always hear, you know, anytime probably you've interviewed uh, a defense after a game in which they have zero sacks, what do they say? Well, the ball was coming out quickly. Like it's right. probably 100% on the NFL reporting uh, scale that that happens every time. It was really true with them last year. You know, there were quarterbacks completing 90% of their passes against the Eagles on the season. As a total, it was 70%. That was the worst in the NFL over the last two years. So like the pass rush and the coverage didn't, 
you know, they, they weren't married. They weren't aligned. It was like, all right, you're going to rush with four and you have a great pass rush. Well, guess what? They have no chance because the ball's coming out in two seconds because you have wide open receivers, six yards downfield with no cornerback near them. So I think that's been a big key difference this year is they've mixed up their coverages more. They're playing a little bit more man coverage. They're disguising stuff a little more. And quarterbacks you saw on Sunday with Carson Wentz have had to hold on to the football a little bit more. So your point about the four-man rush is really important. I was just looking this up earlier today. They have 10 sacks with a four-man rush this year. That's tied for first in the NFL. And so every defensive court, well, maybe not Wink Martindale, every defensive coordinator other than <laughs> Wink Martindale would probably prefer to just rush four if they can. Like, that's the luxury. That's the dream. You don't have to commit more. You can still hit the quarterback, and you can still drop seven into coverage. But when you can't do that, what's your plan B? Last year, they didn't have much of a plan B this year they kind of do they're like okay if, if we're not getting to the quarterback we'll blitz a little bit more we can we can disguise a little bit more we can drop to edge rushers and blitz our middle linebacker you know they're they're, they're much right. more creative this year with their personnel so I think you're right that it definitely starts with just the names up front the pass rushers up front they've invested so much money in that group and that's going to be the core of what they do but they're like allowing those guys to succeed more this year than maybe they did in the past it seems like from from what I've watched so far this year, Darius Slay is having a great, great start to the year. Has that you've watched this team more closely than I have? Yeah. Is is that as good as it looks? A hundred percent. Yeah. And he was great last year. I remember I had to do like an all pro team at the end of the year. And I think I just he was like my last guy off, but he really played at that level last year. And this year, it's only three games, but he's been even better. I mean, the ball production, the willingness to just take on Justin Jefferson in some of those snaps, those, you know, one versus one matchups. He's done that. And really, uh, their whole cornerback group has been good so far. You know, James Bradbury kind of fell into their laps because the Giants yeah. released him and they signed him. Like, they didn't have a great plan B there. I mean, maybe you trade for someone else, but like, that was a key, key move that you make in the summertime where if they didn't have that, that number two corner spot, we'd probably be talking about that right now as a right. huge weakness. And then uh, their slot corner, Avante Maddox, uh, has been fantastic also. You know, I think he's performed at a really high level. So with those corners, they have the ability, the trust, I think, where if they want to play a little bit more man coverage, if they want to match up to some of these teams, they're able to do that uh, probably differently than they were last year. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kids' education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. 
Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. Okay, so we've talked about some of these these answered questions, these reasons why I should join you on <laughs> Eels, Eagles' legitimate Super Bowl contender island with its well-stocked Wawa. Let's talk a little bit about what weaknesses sort of remain, right? Since we're not talking about that second cornerback, what should we be talking about? Particularly because, you know, no offense to the Lions, Vikings, and Commanders. I don't know that that 3-0 came against an absolute murderer's row of opponents, right? I think we're not totally... Like, I, I'm, I'm, I like the Lions' offense. I want to like the Vikings, but I'm a little shaky right now. The Commanders, I think, are, are not a good team. Um, if there are... If there are weaknesses that might show up against better competition, where are they? Well, the funny thing is with the schedule, like we might be having this conversation in January because if you look at football <laughs> right. outsiders, they have the third easiest remaining schedule in the NFL. Like if you just go week by week, I think they're going to be favored in every game other than maybe the Packers. And I think the Packers is at home. So like who knows what the teams will look like at that point. They might be favored in every game the rest of the season. So they've got a lot of cupcakes. And, and that was the case even going into the season. I think they had the second easiest projected schedule. So it, it might not be until the playoffs or there might be a little sprinkling here and there of, oh, they faced a good team and didn't play well. It might be this weekend against the Jaguars. I mean, the Jaguars have been yeah. outstanding so far. So maybe it'll come right away. Concerns going forward. I mean, one is Hertz has that ceiling. Hertz is capable of playing really well. Is he going to do it for an entire season? Is he going to do it in the playoffs? You know, you mentioned that Bucks game last year. Like that would kind of shape the offseason and, and they didn't handle that well. They didn't handle a lot of the aggressiveness that the Bucks threw their way, whether it was blitzing or disguised blitzes where they're only rushing four and all of a sudden it turns into this chaotic game where he's scrambling around and guys aren't open and, and the Bucks were not passive in that game. And I think we saw that from the Lions in week one. It didn't work out great. We saw a little bit of that from the commanders in week two and Eagles moved the ball. Don't get me wrong. They hit on a bunch of big plays. But it wasn't one of those where they were just like methodically first down after first down. You know, they hit on a lot of uh, explosive right. plays, which is great. So now if it's a more talented defense that's going to play like that, I think that certainly could be a test. 
with Jalen Hurts. So that's the concern offensively. They haven't run the ball great. You know, they've had a couple, they've had opportunities to kind of really pad on to the score in the second halves of these games, and they haven't run the ball great. So I guess that's a minor concern. My biggest concern is probably schematically, defensively. I mean, I was really hard on the defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, last year. I thought it was really vanilla. I thought it was a really boring defense. I don't believe you can play defense where you're saying, we're not going to give up any explosive plays at all costs. Go ahead, complete those seven and eight-yard passes. Like, I mean, you've talked to defensive players. Like, they don't want to play like that. They're like, no, we're putting the quarterback on his back and we're going to take it to him. And so I won, you know. So far, so good through three games. Listen, the defense has been a lot better than it was last year. I'm giving Gannon credit. I do want to see that over the course of an entire season. I want to see that when, hey, something's not working in the first half against this good offense. What's your adjustment? Are you willing to change what your game plan was in the second half? Like, Can you match wits with a Tom Brady or an Aaron Rodgers? You know, those are real. Those are the questions when you're talking about how far you're going to get in the Super Bowl. So those are probably the biggest concerns. And, and so far, they've been really healthy. Um, obviously, if you lose a key cog like A.J. Brown, some of the guys we talked about, A.J. Brown, sure. Darius Slay, that's going to completely change the complexion uh, of your season. But I, I think th- those are probably some of the key things. They can actually withstand injuries, I would say, up front, offensive line, defensive line on both sides of the ball pretty well. Like if they suffer some injuries there, they have depth. But you're always looking at the key spots where you might not have depth and has how with how good as Brown has been so far this season. And then corners, a thin spot. Those are probably the two that I, I would outline. Does either of the the point about the offense, just wondering if there might come a moment about, against a good opponent where all of a sudden the, the switch just turns off or the question about Gannon uh, being able to make defensive adjustments? Does either one of those uh, come up to you when you look at how they haven't scored very much in the second half? Because they they have been this sort of like chunk scoring team, right? I think it was Solak who had that stat against their second quarter scoring. Right. Um, is that through three games too small of a sample size to mean anything to you? Or do you see any sort of pattern there with with either what you just talked about with the offense or the defense? I think it's a small sample thing. It's like something I've got my eye on, but like you really can't tell unless you're in a close game, right? And you have to score in the second half. Like they've been up by 51 points total at halftime over three games, the highest, uh, you know, margin in the NFL. And so, you you know, it's just like a natural tendency to not be as sharp, like Hertz missed on a deep ball. They had some uh, uh, protection breakdowns last week offensively. And so it's fair to kind of point that out and look at it at the same time. If they were in a game where the opponent had 21 points, I'm sort of like, I kind of feel like they would have been able to score and finish out some of those drives. So uh, not, I, I wouldn't say it's something where I noticed it yet, where it's like they're not making adjustments. They're just, I mean, it's, it's been pretty, um, it's been a little vanilla. It's been a little less sharp than it's been in the first half. And so it's something to keep an eye on, but probably not something to panic about. All right. So, so Sheila, I'm going to have to figure out if I want to be on this island or not. And I don't <laughs> want to get embarrassed, especially even just a few days out. I don't want anybody tagging old takes exposed four days after we really released this pod. And other than maybe that Packers game later on in the season, uh, you mentioned that the Eagles upcoming opponent, the fighting Doug Peterson Jaguars might be the toughest test they get the rest of the way based on what we've seen so far early in this, this very, very young season, which I'm going to say for the 8 millionth time. 
Um, what are you looking for in this matchup? Yeah, I think defensively, the way Trevor Lawrence has been playing, like he just seems so confident and comfortable. The ball last week was just coming out so quickly. Uh, he hasn't taken a lot of hits. He hasn't taken a lot of sacks. He seems to know, know where to go. He's taking the layouts. That's precisely the type of quarterback that when the Eagles play like they played last year, where they're playing, all right, two deep safeties, go ahead, we'll dare you to put together a nine-play drive. Like the Jaguars did that on the Chargers all day long on Sunday. And so if that's your plan A, fine. But if the other team's moving the ball, then how are you going to adjust and what are you going to do differently? So I think that certainly is a key when you look at the Eagles' defense against the Jaguars' offense. And then on the other side of the ball, how do you handle their defensive line? Their defensive line has been, mm -hmm. the Jaguars has been outstanding so far. I mean, they've got athletes, Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker and the veteran Roy Robertson Harris and the nose tackle, Holy Fatukasi. Like they, they've invested in that group and they're playing really well together with these stunts and the other stuff they're doing up front. So this past week, the Eagles offensive line did not dominate against that Washington front. Like if you look at their run game, if you look at some of the issues you mentioned in the second half, a lot of those were offensive line issues. Now, I still think their offensive line is really good. But if you told me there's a scenario where that Jaguars defensive line gets the better of the Eagles offensive line and it's kind of an ugly offensive performance by the Eagles, uh, that would not necessarily shock me. So I think those are uh, kind of two keys. And then I'm just curious, Doug Peterson comes back to Philly. I mean, listen, it's different than Carson Wentz. There's a statue of Doug Peterson outside. Yep. <laughs> Doug Peterson is beloved by the fans, by the players on the team that played for him. I mean, there were people in the building who totally, when, when Doug Peterson was let go, they, they would say, okay, we can see why he was let go, but man, we're going to kind of miss having him around. Like we liked having him in the building. He was just a fun head coach to kind of lead the organization. So he was very well liked. I mean, I, I don't know that there's anybody in the organization that would personally have a bad thing to say about him, even if those people thought that he should have gotten fired what he did after they had a disastrous 2020. So uh, I think it'll probably be a little personal for Peterson. You know, he won a Super Bowl. He gets them to the playoffs the, the following two years. They have one bad season. We're now looking back on it. You're like, yeah. well, you know, Carson Wentz hasn't exactly lit it up since, uh, since, since that season. And Doug Peterson's probably looking at it going, wait, you've got Nick Sirianni, AJ Brown, and Devontae Smith, like, look at the guys I was doing this with when right. I was coached there. So I don't know if I'm overthinking that or not, but I do think, you know, there's probably going to be some uh, tricks that he pulls out in this game. And, and just looking at how that Jaguars team responds to him, like after, was it the first win where they had kind of a locker room video where they handed him the game ball and they're going nuts. They're just like so happy to not have Urban Meyer uh, anymore and to have Doug Peterson. So uh, I, I don't, I haven't made a prediction for the game yet. I don't know. I think it's going to be a close game. I, I do believe that the Jaguars are a really good team. Like they, if the Eagles blew out the Jaguars, then uh, I might have to come back next week and be like, you know, the, the island might be the Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl island because <laughs> I, I do think they're they're a uh, they're a tough team. But I, I think it'll be a competitive game. I'm kind of buying the hype around both these teams uh, through three weeks. I don't know if that would mean the island is getting bigger or smaller. We'd have to the find island's like getting an adjacent smaller, but one. more people yeah. are trying to move to it. Yeah, it's you take exclusive. a little boat very to it island. or something. Yeah, it's like an offshoot of the main island. Uh, you need to have some type of like membership ID to get into the resort, something like that. I think it's like it's an archipelago, you know. Yeah. And you go down, and and the, the the islands that are further out in the chain, they're they're more and more elite, and 
they have fancier and fancier Wawa's. And <laughs> that's so we'll right. See. I, I do think it's going to be really fascinating, especially because they don't have the same personnel. Obviously, I'm not going to say that this is the same caliber of defense that the Eagles went up against against the Bucks in the playoffs. But Mike Caldwell is the defensive coordinator in Jacksonville. He came from Tampa. He was their linebackers coach. And a lot of those guys fit together in at least a schematically similar way. Like they want to be tough against the run in, in a similar way and then have all of that depth on the line, which I think has particularly been borne out in just how well Josh Allen's playing. Because it seems like particularly getting Walker in there and just having more depth has unlocked a new level of his game. So it's not the same. It's not the same level of test, right? Like that, that, that Bucks defense is so notoriously difficult to run the ball against. Although now that the Eagles are a little bit less of a run heavy offense. So there's a bunch of things that have changed, but it's still, there is that consistent, how do they fare against this style of defense that I think will be really interesting. Um, all right. I, I think we're reaching our moment of truth where I figure out where on this beautiful island chain I'm, I'm going to land. Let, can I give you one quick anecdote before you decide to join, the, to, yes, whether please. to join or not? Please, please. So this, this is just, if you, if you want a mood for the uh, update, well, let, let's say the school is on the island, okay? We'll, we'll blend real life here with fantasy life. So my daughter's uh, teacher on the island, uh, you know, she sends out an email every Monday, just kind of send, uh, setting up the week. And the email today on the island, you know, started out with, I had a great weekend, you know, especially since the Eagles won. And line two on the email was, uh, I tore my meniscus. So (laughs) she still had a great weekend because the Eagles won. She led with the Eagles winning and she had a great weekend on the same weekend where she tore her meniscus and now has to teach a bunch of elementary school students. So if you just want to mood on the island of what's on everyone's minds and how everyone's feeling, I just thought, you know, that was a that was a final anecdote that I wanted to get in there for you. You know, priorities are important. I don't want to be I don't want to be on any island where people don't have their priorities in line. But I think that that tells me. So, okay, so what we're really talking about here is can I, in good conscience, go against Mr. Austin Gale's power rankings and and stack the Eagles ahead of the Bucks, Packers, Rams, 49ers is sort of easy at this point because of um, the last time that we watched Jimmy Garoppolo on television. But it, it, let's call it the Bucks, Packers, and Rams. And I, I won't hold out on you here, Sheila. I'm on the island. I'm totally there. And I'll tell wow. you the reason why. And of course, everything that you just so wonderfully explained about how Hertz has shown that his ceiling is higher than maybe we would have ex- expected or felt like we could count on going into the season. How, you know, so far, so good. Jonathan Gannon being willing to keep getting that pressure just with four rushers, but then play a little bit more man, use a little bit more in terms of match coverages on the back end. That's all working out really well. Really like that for the Eagles going forward. You mentioned something, though, that is ultimately the reason why I have confidence in this, which is that when I look at particularly the Bucks and the Rams of that top trio of teams in the NFC, the Packers 
could fit into this as well, depending on how a couple of health things turn out for them. But when I look at those teams, there's one thing that troubles me that does not trouble me with the Eagles. And it's their offensive line depth. I I think that is such a a big factor that maybe we haven't totally started to talk about all that often in terms of the NFC playoff um, contenders and and how far they're going to be able to go this season. But I just look at particularly the interior offensive lines of the Bucks and the Rams as things that are going to be serious limiting factors for them. Yeah. a lot of the offensive issues and, and, you know, health is particularly with Tampa Bay, a big part of that as well. But I worry what they're going to be able to do over the course of an entire season. And now we're talking about, especially in the case of a team like the Bucks that doesn't have a lot of competition in the division, we're talking about how they fare in the playoffs, right? But when we get into January, when all of the attrition of an entire NFL season has happened, I really feel good about the Eagles for all of those reasons, but also because I feel like they can withstand a couple injuries there. And we're looking at some of their chief competition in the conference, and they've already started to stack injuries. And we see quarterbacks like Tom Brady, you know, we don't have a question about his ceiling, but we still see it affecting him. They've got an entire season to figure it out, but I I, I think at least right now, like, I will go I will go to the furthest island in the chain um, for all of the reasons that you just stated. But I think that's one that really uh, I'm glad you brought up because I think the depth that they have in the trenches is something that's going to make this not a September sort of flash in the pan, but something that is more sustainable, not just going to the end of the season, because, again, the schedule's easy, but in terms of what they're able to accomplish in the playoffs. So, Sheil... Let's let's go to Wawa. Let's go yeah, to the island so, Wawa and get get some lunch. Someone get someone get Nora a, a shorty. You know, maybe a Lacolome if she wants one. Maybe a Kenny if she's thirsty. I don't know if anyone knows what any of these are uh, in the audience, but you can Google it. This is this is what life's like on the island, or you can come and visit as well. Is, is La Colombe is in the fancy coffee, or does this yeah. mean? Oh, I love yeah. La Colombe. Yeah, come on. It, that could have been case with closed that. in like yeah. 30 seconds. <laughs> a little cold brew. I'll leave have a with nice that next little, time. you know, go to the beach, watch yeah. some Jalen Hurts. This is great. This is great. Fantastic. All right. Well, we'll see if we're back here next week after a, a, a trouncing of the Jacksonville Jaguars where, I don't know, what, will they put a Sirianni statue up next to the Peterson statue or is it Jalen Hurts or is it, I don't know who's going up, but, yeah. but. I guess we'll have to find out. Um, thank you so much for doing this, Sheila. This has been an absolute blast. And I feel like I learned a lot, which is always the goal. Thanks for having me. It was fun. This has been The Island on the Ringer NFL Show feed. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week. But for now, uh, Sheila's absolutely cranking out pods this week. And we'll have you covered on the feed tomorrow, going in depth on some newsy NFL topics. Thank you to Stefan Anderson for production on this episode, as always, and to Connor Nevins and Arjuna Rampapal for additional production supervision. 